I've known Pastor Denningham for some time. Uh, we serve uh, JAMA, Jesus Awakening Movement uh, uh, for America for some time. Uh, we served on the board together uh, for a while. And uh, he's also um, uh, a former uh, pastor of a uh, large church in uh, northern New Jersey and Manhattan called Joy Fellowship. And uh, presently he is with uh, KCCC, it's Korean uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, he's actively engaged with that. And um, so I, I wanted to uh, be able to reconnect with him. And uh, so I brought the uh, good news through him to you. So I hope you'll be uh, blessed today. It's always a, an honor and privilege to deliver God's word. I've been to this sanctuary multiple times, but this is the first time I'm preaching. And uh, uh, Tim and Janice have been just wonderful uh, role model and uh, friends to me. Uh, and uh, it was great to reconnect, especially last night. Uh, we went on a vacation together for a few years ago. But anyway, uh, about four and a half years ago, uh, one day, January, early January, 2012, uh, my youngest son complained that his left eye was a little, the vision was a little bit blurry. And uh, I didn't think much about it because he likes violent sports. So at that time, he was, you know, going to MMA gym. You know what MMA is, you know, the, you know, the fighting thing. So I figured uh, somebody must have hit him in his left eye during sparring or something. So, you know, it'll go away. So I told him, don't worry about it, you know. It was about uh, Friday or Saturday he, he complained about it. Uh, I said, it'll go away, don't worry about it. In three days, that eye had turned completely blind. So we uh, went to see our doctor who sent us to a neurologist. This is all happening in one day. From the neurologist, we went to the ER, and then he was put in the hospital. They were doing a number of tests, taking spinal tap, and could not figure it out. It was a local hospital. So he was there for nearly a week, and then we transferred him to a larger university hospital in New York City. And then they could not figure it out. Eventually, they still do not know exactly what it is, but they decided it was a form of multiple sclerosis. For those of you who do not know what that is, it is a uh, autoimmune disease where one's own immune system attacks, you know, one's own body. Uh, it's incurable. There is no cure. And uh, what happens is, after it attacks, actually the body recovers most of it, but not fully. And after each episode, that function, whatever the function is in the person's uh, body, uh, diminishes little by little. So after a while, they typically become wheelchair-bound. Uh, so he was in the hospital, and uh, it was one of the, I mean, as far as the acuteness is concerned, maybe it was the most uh, uh, devastating experience in my life. I literally could not stand up because it was a university hospital. So, you know, all these doctors keep on coming. They bring their students, you know, and every time they come, they t go through the same questions and they give the same prognosis which at the end basically ends always, well, he may become blind, he may die. And I just could not even stand up. 
he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. He was discharged, and uh, we went to see a specialist uh, about a week later. And that's exactly what uh, that lady said. She, you know, we talked for 30 minutes, and then she opens the door where the patients are, and there were some people who were wheelchair-bound, wheelchair and she says, well, by the time your son is in his 30s, this may happen to you, to, to him. Uh, good news is that uh, for past three and a half years, almost four years now, he has not had any episode, and he's not even on medication. My wife, has, uh, my wife is a little bit uh, different. <laughs> So uh, after, you know, he had two episodes, one, one after another. And then the doctor, of course, wanted, wanted to, to put him on medication, uh, which is like uh, um, diabetes. You, they have different medicine now, but back then, he would have shot himself on his st stomach every day. And it was like, number one, we cannot afford it. It was like two $3,000 out of the pocket every month. And just the thought of that was just you know, horrible, you know, he's 16 years old, for the rest of his life he has to do this, and my wife just didn't believe in it, so we said, we're going to pray, we're going to put him on, <laughs> please do not follow this, okay, but we're going to put him on herb medicine, all the vitamins and stuff, and so on and so forth, so he has, he has not had any episode, which is a miracle, and uh, the doctor said, after a year, when we went back, he said, what are you doing, my wife said, this is what we are doing, and he said, well, whatever you're doing, continue to do it. So he has not had any episode. Anyway, that's one story. About a year later, my daughter, who was at a, uh, at, in, in college, she called out of the blue and said, I'm withdrawing. And I'm Korean. <laughs> if you know the Asian uh, culture, you know how important college education is. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, unbeknownst to us, uh, it turns out she always had anxiety issues. We, I was just an insensitive parent. I did not know. Throughout her life, she had anxiety issues. And when she went to college, the anxiety just shot through the roof her freshman year. And uh, her, she began to really struggle with her anxiety at the very time when my son was going through his MS struggle. So she, very much emotionally mature, my daughter, knowing that her parents are going through just unbearable season, she kept it all to, all to herself, exacerbating her own anxiety. So when she went back the sophomore year, she just could not handle it. She withdrew. And uh, she was in depression. Uh, it was one of the most heartbreaking things to see. Your own daughter, so depressed, so filled with anxiety because... Her, you know, she actually did one-year admissions after high school, and her friends were just moving on with life, eventually graduating, getting jobs, and she was literally bedridden uh, almost all day. And uh, it was so heartbreaking. That was about three years ago. She's doing well now also. Okay. It's a miracle, miracle after miracle. But two years ago, the greatest bomb uh, blew up, uh, Tim said, uh, I used to pastor a large church, well, largest uh, relative. But anyway, for our context, I guess, a large church. Um, we were doing really well. We had just purchased the property and had all these visions of planting multiple churches and so on and so forth. God was using our church, you know, uh, very meaningfully. Uh, 
And then, uh, you know, strange sequence of events took place. I was forced out of the church, you know. At the core of it was my fault, you know, of course. But just very, very strange sequence of events happened. I was forced out of the church. And then I did not know if my marriage and family was going to survive. Um, somebody said a long time ago, I don't, re- I don't remember who said it, uh, and this person said, before God uses you, God will break your heart. And I always wonder what that would be. <laughs> and I actually thought it would be something happening bad happening to my child, because that was the only thing I could imagine, you know, something happening to your own, own child. That would be the worst thing. But this definitely was the most devastating event of my life. I thought everything that was important in my life was in jeopardy. Literally, I could lose everything. It became uh, so painful. This is happening uh, uh, at the end of last year, through the early year, I'm still going through it even now. Uh, when it really finally all happened, uh, I did not know if uh, I was not sure if I could trust God anymore. I don't know if you have ever been in that place. It's not like you don't trust God for eternal life. I believe in Jesus, so I know that my eternal life is secure. But I did not know if I could trust God for this this life. You know, throughout that whole season, about 15 months, I uh, held on to Romans 8.28. Many of you know the verse. You know, God works all things out for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And I really thought everything would work out. In my own mind, I had a own scenario how it would work out. And during that time, I also felt very close, clearly from the Lord, saying a few couple of things. You know, don't fight this fight. I'll fight for you. Do not vindicate yourself. I'll vindicate you. And at the end, I just felt completely abandoned. I really felt completely abandoned by God. And, uh, you know, I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. And uh, when I said that to the Lord, that was the darkest point in my life. I entered a place I had never been to where, you know, somebody said we can live without food for whatever, 40 days. We can live without water for three days or seven days. You can live without air for three minutes or something like that. We cannot live without hope one second. And I had entered a place of hopelessness when I could not, when I said, I, I don't know if I, if, I did not know if I could trust God anymore. I really entered a place, dark tunnel, where I could not see any light. I'm just walking this journey, and I did not know whether there was a light at the end of the tunnel. God delivered me out of that, um, which is another story. Uh, now I'm doing much better. About three months ago, I literally felt, I, I, you know, I said, I think I passed the half point of the tunnel. <laughs> I'm beginning to see the light. And um, my marriage is better than ever before. We had a lot of brokenness. You know, I come from a very broken family, and I inherited a lot of brokenness, which I unleashed upon my own family. I thought I was doing pretty okay, but when everything happened, all the you know, wounds that I inflicted on my family just, just became visible to me. And uh, this season of pain is accomplishing many things, 
And one of that is really healing of our, of our family. My marriage and my relationship with my kids is uh, at a place where I could have never imagined it to be. I didn't think it was bad. My kids told me after it all blew up, it was bad. It's like, really? <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, really giving me time to uh, heal and invest into my kids. They're about to graduate from college, all of them, soon. And uh, uh, I really, uh, you know, now I know that God's love is bigger. I knew God's love before, having gone, still going through it. As I'm going through this thing, I am far more certain and sure of God's love. Anyway, purpose of pain. The good news is that pain has purpose. If pain is random, a lot of times when things happen, I, feel, I believe we believe we're just victim. Why is this thing happening? It makes no sense. It's just happening. But the good news is that pain has a purpose. There's somebody behind it. And we are thrown into it, but it is not without purpose. And that's the good news. Until all these things happened in my life, I did not realize that pain was an intrinsic part of Christian life. Now, in this land especially, all over the world now, we're so filled with preaching that says, if you do these seven things, your life will be painless. You know, Christian life, we, you know, preachers, including myself, I mean, I don't think I, I preach that kind of message, but anyway, I mean, we, we hear this message so many times, very neatly packaged, do these three things, your marriage will be happy. I guarantee you, not necessarily. Okay, do these seven things, everything will work out well. Not necessarily. It may, but not necessarily. The Bible makes it clear that pain is an intrinsic part of Christian life. It's not like once you become a Christian, all that is behind. No, it is still part of our life. There are many verses, but I'm going to read maybe one or two. Romans 8, 17, it says, If we are children, that is children of God, then we are heirs. We are supposed to inherit things from the Lord. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But listen to this. Provided provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Isn't it interesting? Have you read that verse before? If you are children of God, we are heirs with Him, co-heirs with Christ, provided, not just period right there, but provided that we suffer with Him. We're all going to be glorified. Amen? Are you right? Yeah. Well, if we're Christians, we're going to be all glorified. But in Christian uh, storyline, there's always suffering before glorification. And that is also the good news. Is there suffering in your life? Look up to God. Glorification is coming. Is that good? It is hard to see. I've been there before. I'm even now, no, not now, okay, but even a few months ago. It is hard to see. When you're going through it, it is very difficult to see. We all have to simply see it by faith alone. Lord, I don't see it, but see it only by faith. And eventually, what you are looking at only by faith becomes, little by little, a visible reality. 
But that's what the Lord says here. If we are children, then we are heirs, and heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Another verse, another verse you know very well. If anyone, Jesus speaking, if anyone would follow me, come after me, he must, she must pick up his cross, deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. What is the cross? Instrument of our own death. Following Christ always means I die to myself continually. The thing that we least want to do, I mean, we read it, but if we really apply it, that is a thing that our very nature opposes. I don't want to die. I mean, who wants to die? You know, I fast every week, and I hate fasting. But God got me started on this fasting thing a long, long time ago. And um, I don't do it too much anymore. But I used to say to myself, Danny, I mean, this, we're not even talking about fasting for a long time, like 24-hour period. I say to myself, Danny, you're not going to die. <laughs> because I hate fasting, because it's a form of dying to yourself. And who wants to die? We don't. Sub, uh, suffering is not a surprise. It is a part of our Christian life. Now I said, the scripture says, pain has a purpose. What is a purpose? Actually, the Bible has many purposes for suffering. It is to cleanse us from our sin, and that is part of what happened in my, in, in my life. There were sins and, you know, uh, things that were uh, wrong and broken that God had to drive out of me, okay? But there are many purposes. I, I want to focus on just one thing from this passage. And that is, it says, it is so that we will be able to bring comfort to other people. Only those who have gone through a suffering can bring healing to other people. And as I was going through this most difficult period of my life, uh, many people uh, came to speak to me, comfort, but I saw that it was really the people who have gone through suffering that could bring comfort. People did not go through it. They say things, but they, they do not understand. So even when they say the same thing, it does not have the same impact. You know that they, they don't understand what you're really going through. It is only the people that have gone through that can bring that healing. And they know almost like in an uncanny way, know exactly what you're going through at that moment. Now let's look at today's passage. It says here, we read it, but I'm going to read it one more time. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. First, it says, God does not necessarily deliver us from all our afflictions. You know, I have actually experienced many deliverances from afflictions. I prayed, and God just delivered me in so many different ways. A couple of times, I got into car accidents. I actually hit them. My fault. And uh, they didn't call the insurance company. I didn't understand it. I mean, one time, I remember I was driving a van, I think it was a church van, and I scraped this whole side of a car from Brooklyn. It was in uh, upstate New York, but I, mean, I scraped the whole thing, and we called the police and all the report, and uh, then I was expecting a call from my insurance company. Nothing. Till this day, I do not know why. 
I wonder if that car was involved in some drug deal or something. I have no idea. Another time, right out of my driveway, it was in the middle of the night, there was a black Audi parked, you know, they should not park right there. I mean, my driveway is here, it's a very narrow street, parked right there. I didn't see it, there was no light, I didn't see it, I just rammed into it, okay? I mean, it was not really hard, but, you know, I hit the car, so I left a note, you know, I hit your car, here's your, my, there was nobody there, I waited for a while, this is my number, uh, you know, when you see it, please call me. No call. I mean, those are minor uh, illustrations, but I've experienced so many times God delivering me out of trouble. Many, many times. But the truth is, God does not deliver us from all afflictions. How we would wish and pray that God would deliver us from this affliction. God may, God may not. Okay, that's the point. God may not deliver us from our, that particular affliction. Then we have to ask, you know, when that happens, this challenge comes. On one side is, you know, there's a nature of God and there is our circumstances. And these two, are, two things are coming into a conflict. Does God love me? That's the question that happens. If God loves me, why does God allow this thing in my life? So we have a choice. Either we give up on the nature of God. God does not love me anymore. And people fall away from God. They do. You probably know some people who are walking with the Lord and something painful happened, they walked away from God. But there is another option, and that is, we do not give up on the nature of God. I know that God loves me, and if God is not delivering me from this affliction, there's got to be a purpose. Amen? There's got to be a purpose. I was speaking at a retreat not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and this young man, they put me in the same room as this guy who's not a Christian. So we were, and at the beginning, I thought he was one of the staff. It turned out he was not even a Christian. And he said to me, um, you know, I used to go to church, and then, you know, I began to study philosophy and so on. And, uh, you know, this whole problem of suffering and pain, I could not resolve it. So what do you say? I mean, this is, you know, ancient problem, age-old problem, problem of sin, problem of pain. How do you resolve this conflict between loving God, all-powerful God, and the problem of pain? And, I mean, he was asking that question. So I, I just replied to him with a, another question. I said, do you think there is something that is worth the pain? Which obviously is true for all of us. You know, we go through sleepless nights, to do well in our finals. That's painful, okay? Football players, they go through just incredible, uh, you know, rigor uh, training for the glory. We all go through it. So that's the question. If God leaves us in our affliction, there's got to be a purpose. As I was going through this season, um, uh, Dr. Kim from JAMA actually recommended me a devotional book, which has been a lifeline for me, really. It's called, uh, if you're going through it, this will help you, Streams in the Desert. 
and I got many wonderful things out of it. But in one of the stories, uh, January 8th, I believe, it says, this man is writing uh, his reflection, and he said there was this um, cocoon of a monarch a moth. It's beautiful, like butterfly. I don't know why they call it moth, but, you know, yellow and black, beautiful, very majestic, so they call it monarch moth. And he said, uh, this cocoon has somehow fallen off the branch, and so he took it and he left it on, his, on, his, on top of his desk, and when the spring came, he was anxiously waiting this beautiful, majestic moth to come out, you know, and fly away. But as, and he waited for many days, and he began to see a little movement, and it was beginning to come out. But that opening was so small, it was such a struggle. It looked so painful. So in his merciful heart, he decided, you know, I'll just make it just a tiny bit bigger. And he was thinking, well, maybe if it stayed on the branch, it would not have been so dried up, but it looks so dried, I'll just make it a little bit bigger. So he got a pair of scissors and just made it a tiny bit bigger, that little hole. And very quickly, that moth emerged and came out fully. It was easy. And now he was very excited, and he was waiting for this moth to spread her wings and fly away. Rather... She limped around a little bit and fell, fell to the side and just died. He was so heartbroken, he did research, and he found out, most likely, the moth is now fully developed. It is only in the process of, of going through that tiny hole, the, the liquid, sort of the blood of the moth is pushed to the last part that needs to be developed, which are the wings themselves. That's the last part that it gets developed. It is through the process of going through that hole, all the fluid goes to the ends of the uh, wings, and it gets developed. So in fact, what had happened was, his mercy had killed the moth. The tenderness of his own heart had killed the moth. And he writes... God, in His wisdom, refused to choose that frail tenderness. He sees it through. And that is some of us, maybe. You're going through a season of suffering. If you're going through it and God is not delivering you, there is a work that God is doing in your life. You're being developed. When I was going through this thing, my dad said, when he was young, he used to go to the blacksmith in his town and saw him work. And this is what the blacksmith would do. Get a piece of metal, put it in the fire, pull it out. And metal is strange, right? When the blacksmith puts in the fire, the impurities that is inside comes to the surface. And then he'll pull it out, get a hammer, hit it, and the impurities, the black part falls off, puts into the cold water, then puts in the fire again. Typically, they will do it three times. Just make a common tool. To make a sword, five times. To make a very good sword, seven times. 
You are that metal. God puts in the fire. Impurities come out. That's not the end. Gets a hammer. <laughs> you know? Then you feel the cool for a little while. Then back again. The worst thing is that the metal will not take that hardship. It just breaks. There's, there's, if there's no substance, it just breaks. And they, it, it goes into the uh, scrap heap. God does not necessarily deliver us from our afflictions. That's the first point. For a purpose. However, number two, God does not necessarily deliver us from our, our afflictions, but He comforts us in our affliction. <laughs> we would rather God just deliver us. Lord, take me out of this. But God does not necessarily do that, but when we are in suffering, He comes and comforts us. Early January, I was going through the most difficult season, and I had a full-blown full insomnia. And uh, uh, I could not even stay asleep for more than three hours. You know, very troubled sleep, and I would wake up after like three hours, which is a two-cycle of sleep. Sleep cycle is 90 minutes. I'll wake up, and I cannot fall asleep. And this one time, I woke up, and I was so stressed out about my life, about my marriage. I was, everything looked so bleak. And from about 3 o'clock until about 6 or 7 o'clock, I just cried out to God, Lord, I need to hear from you. I, I, I just need some word. I'm not like a man who just prays and hears God. I mean, there are some people like, I'm not. Okay? God's voice is very vague to me. I have to study the scriptures and ask, talk to people and try to understand the circumstances, whatnot. But I was in such pain. I, the only thing I cried out to God was, Lord, I just need to hear from you. I mean, I need something. I'm just like so abandoned, I feel. I need something. I just cried. This, that's one thing for three, four hours. And the morning came, and, you know, I'm working for uh, or, organization, so I go, I go to the campus. And throughout the day, I just feel this tension all over my body. I'm just do, going, doing things, but just full of tension. And out of the blue, somebody, uh, I get a request on my phone. Somebody wants to be a Facebook friend. So I look it up. I don't know this guy. <laughs> so I look him up, and I do, I check the profile, and looks like a nice guy. So I say, okay, I'll be your friend. I say, yes. And then he sends me a message. So he asked me to, he asked to be my Facebook friend because he wanted to send the message. And this is what he said. Pastor Danny, you don't know me, but I was at your church briefly for a few months, and my wife is completely Korean-speaking, so we could not stay. We went to a different church. And uh, right after I left the church, I heard, uh, I had a dream. I usually do not dream. I'm, I'm not a dreamer. I'm not like Joseph. I, don't, I usually do not dream anything. But I had a dream about you, and I saw you in great distress. And then I heard about what happened. And then he said, and, and just a couple of days ago, I dreamt about you again. And he said, I saw you beginning to preach. And that was it. That's all, that was all that was. But that's really what I needed to hear. 
And then I checked the time, and I realized that he had that dream before I prayed. I had a couple of experiences like that in my life. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, before you call, I will answer. Have you read that verse? Yeah, before, it is like this. God saying, before you call, I already began to answer your prayer. Isn't it amazing? I had experiences like that, and this was one of them. He knew that I would be in such a situation, in great distress, God had already sent the answer through this man. God does not necessarily deliver us from our afflictions, but God comforts in our afflictions. And one of the benefits of God not delivering us out of the affliction, but comforting us in our affliction, although we would rather God deliver us out of our affliction, is that we get to know God. We get very close to God. One time, an old pastor uh, sent me a text. And this, this was the word. He said, when the vine dresser is putting the vine, the vine feels like the vine dresser has abandoned him. But when the vine is being pruned, you can be sure the vine dresser is closest to the vine, which is true. And it was amazing because it was at the very moment I was feeling completely abandoned by God, that text came. It was amazing. Let's go to the last point. So God does not necessarily deliver us from our, our afflictions, but God comes to us, comforts in our afflictions, but that's not the end. God comforts us in our afflictions so that with the comfort we receive from the Lord, we can comfort anyone who is in any affliction. That is the goal. Until this whole thing happened, I did not know that there were so many hurting people. I mean, I knew it. I mean, you read it in the newspaper. But I did not really know it in my heart. They were just stories. They were just numbers. During this season, in a very strange way, God brought me very near people who were really struggling. I did not know that there were so many, really, I would say, devout Christians, people who love the Lord, who were divorced. I, did, I just, I was completely blown away, blown away. I did not know that there were so many people who were struggling with mental illness. I was meeting so many people. I one time asked a, a, a psychiatrist that I know, how many, what percentage of America do you think are, need psychiatric help, care? And I've, I've always known people, not many, but I mean, I, I've always had people in our church who needed, who is a schizophrenic or bipolar or whatnot. But I thought maybe they're like 2% of the population, maybe 3, 4%. I'm not talking about only about like really uh, intense cases but people who actually need help. Take a guess. What percentage do you think? These are 
20 I was completely blown away. 20%. And then, soon after that, I heard on the radio, actually the same number, 20%. I met a pastor who had two sons. And they, were on, they were both on baseball scholarship. And one was uh, at Stanford. Another one was at a Christian college. And uh, the one that was at a Christian college, he was on baseball scholarship. He's playing outfield one day, senior year. He was practicing with his team. He put his glove down on the field, came into the locker room with a full-blown schizophrenia. The day before, he was completely fine. Next day, full-blown schizophrenia. I thought about him. So, how do you do it? It's been 10 years. In the beginning, he thought it was a demon, you know, try to cast out the demon or whatever. Try all kinds of things. Eventually, he had to accept, my son actually has a schizophrenia. I took, uh, including myself, 11 of us went to a short-term mission trip to China this past summer, nine students and two staff. And... Uh, each evening, virtually every evening, we would go around and do what we call life story. Each person gets to share his or her life story for about 30 minutes an hour. Then we spend some time encouraging that person, affirming that person, and then we pray for that person. Out of 11, nine came from broken families. I'm not, I'm not talking necessarily divorce, but seriously broken families. Brokenness is more the norm in our society than an exception. God hurts us so that we can comfort the hurting. Have you ever wondered the word of Jesus? Jesus said, look at the field. The harvest is plentiful. Have you ever wondered where? I asked the question, Man, where, Lord? I don't see it. Where is the harvest plentiful? I would like to know because I would like to get some harvest. The hurting are the ones that are ripe for harvest. We started a new campus, John Jay College. You've probably never heard of it. John Jay College of Criminal Justice. It's in New York City. We're just opening a new campus. Uh, our focus, our, our target group is Asian. We're not exclusively, but that's what we do. And there are just not that many Asians in that school. They say 15%. I think it's like less than 5%. So we're walking around trying to talk to every Asian, okay, first couple of weeks. And then I see this one girl kind of like crumpled on the side. There are some sofas, you know, in this huge lobby area. And she's in this L shape, away from people, looking at some uh, streaming video on her phone. I just walk past her, and this thought comes to me, do I want to talk to her? Because she looks so antisocial. And she doesn't want to talk to me. It looks that way. I mean, just her, the expression of her face and her body posture and so forth. Then I think, well, <laughs> There are not that many Asians in this. i got to talk to her. So I go back. <laughs> I begin to talk to her. Turns out she is an international student from Korea. 
She'd been to America for four years. She's a freshman from San Diego, has no friends. I begin to talk to her, and then I bring her to where our folks were sitting in a cafeteria area, three, four other people. I bring her there, and my gosh, she cannot stop talking. <laughs> She's a nonstop. She was so lonely. She's not yet a Christian. It's been just about a week and a half. But she's hanging out with us, Christians. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor, which is the opposite of the world's value system. We say, blessed are the rich, of course. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. They are the ones that are ripe. Blessed are the mourning. Who mourn? Come on. Who mourn? Something tragic has happened. That's why they mourn. They are to be comforted. They are closest to the kingdom of God. It says, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I used to interpret that as like, People are so righteous. You want justice, social justice, and so on. I don't think that anymore. Who hunger and thirst for righteous justice? People who have been wronged, and they are so powerless, nobody will stand up for them. And they are dying on the inside, and they are crying out, where is justice? These are the powerless people. And theirs is the kingdom of God. Until this whole thing happened, I did not see the people. I saw them, but I didn't see them. I was so focused on other things. But now I know where the hurting are and where to go for the harvest. Let me finish with this quote. Someone wrote this. This is from the same book. The world is full of hurting and comfortless hearts. But before you will be competent for this lofty ministry, you must be trained. And your training is extremely costly. Or to make it complete, you, must, you too must endure the same afflictions that are wringing countless hearts of tears and blood. Consequently, your own life becomes the hospital ward where you are taught the divine art of comfort. You will be wounded so that in the binding up of your wounds by the great physician, who is God, you may learn how to render first aid to the wounded everywhere. God comforts us, not to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. Let's pray.